it took me a little while to realize what the beeping sound was. I was still getting acquainted with the boat, and we were in the harbor, a friend and I, and a beeping sound started very loudly. Now, if you're on a boat, that beeping sound could be that uh, the water-cooled engine is not getting the appropriate flow of water, and that could shut you down. It could mean that the oil level has dipped in such that the pressure won't be there, and maybe you could burn up a motor if uh, you don't have the right amount of oil. Well, it wasn't those two things. And then I came to find out it was the depth finder. Now, a depth finder on this particular boat was set to beep if you got into less than five feet of water so that you would be warned that you needed to maneuver so as to not run aground. But as I looked at the depth finder, it said 45 feet of water. This particular depth finder was set so that it would beep if you were too low or it would beep if you were approaching too high. Well, the subject this morning is the Holy Spirit. And I'm deep. I am over my depth. This morning as I was, were look, was looking over the, the scripture and I began to prepare my heart to come and to, to speak to you, I trembled. And I thought, is it too late to call Jonathan to get a tag and to have him preach on the Holy Spirit? I felt like I'd done my reading and I have prayed this week and I felt ready yesterday, but this morning I felt... I'm, I'm in deep. It's too deep a subject. The Holy Spirit is it's too deep. Well, my friend on the boat said, Phew, that's great. Deep is wonderful. Deep makes you think about the mystery of what's in the depths there. You know, what would we find 45 feet or further below? But we are free to sail because we're in so deep. So this morning I want to look at the scriptures and our focus is going to be in chapter 16, verse 14, where the promise that Jesus Christ in this terrible last weekend of his life, his promise is, and we took this up in John 14, is that he's leaving, but he's not abandoning them. He's leaving them but he's not leaving them relationally as orphans. It wasn't that he was a brother and now he is leaving them to their own uh, devices. But he gives them a promise in verse 14 that's repeated in verse 15, and that is the Holy Spirit, he will glorify me. In other words, he will make me big in you. For he will take what is mine, all of mine, and declare it to you. In other words, there is a fashion, a method, a medium that the Holy Spirit will be Christ in us and He will communicate with us such that it declares, it shouts to us of Christ's presence. And thereby, our hearts are made full 
of joy and confidence rather than, as it says in verse 6, sorrow has filled your heart. He says there's going to be one who comes and he's the Holy Spirit. And he's going to make me big in you and he's going to declare everything that you've heard from me. He will speak it again and again and again to your heart. Now, my question is, are we listening? Or do we believe it? Do you want it? It's available. My experience as a Presbyterian pastor with churches preaching, teaching, experiencing uh, the Holy Spirit is that on one hand, I've observed churches that speak very little of the Holy Spirit and His ministry. They focus on doctrine. They focus, and they would, it would sound like this, God speaks to me through the Holy Spirit in the Bible, the written words of God, and only there in its most severe form. Only there. That is how I know that it is the Spirit of God. He only speaks to me in the Bible. The other side, or other end of the spectrum, is our churches where they speak a lot about the Holy Spirit. He seems to be in every conversation. And it will sound something like this. Oh, the Spirit told me this this morning. The Spirit spoke to me in that song. Or... The Spirit is moving me. The Spirit is leading me. Now these folks make these folks very uncomfortable. And these folks make these folks very uncomfortable. I want to, I believe that this morning we've got both folks. Now they're not on each side of the auditorium, but we've got both folks here. And I believe with all my heart that God wants to call you from either end of the spectrum to the center this morning in consideration of the Holy Spirit at work in your heart. For the folks that are more bent or or lean more toward doctrine and theology and the, the, the words written on the page, more studious, I want to encourage you to come more toward the center And pray and welcome a fresh experience, an experience of the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart. It might be through a song. It might be something that a brother or a sister in a conversation, they're speaking to you, and it's as if the Lord is speaking to you. It may be in prayer where instead of coming to a place to pray to God with a prepared prayer or with the same structure of prayer that you used before, you just come and you sit silently. And instead of speaking, you invite God, the Holy Spirit, to speak to you. Now you need to know, on the far end of the spectrum, this makes these folks very nervous, but I'm inviting you to come out a little bit and experience the Holy Spirit. Other side, you're like, yeah, yeah, tell them, tell them. You guys need the words. You need a little more structure. 
you need to be able to set some parameters. We're in grave danger if we only follow experiences or impressions or feelings. These guys need to bend a little bit more toward the feelings. These guys need to bend a little bit more toward the fences that we can test those feelings, those impressions, those experiences, and those voices. We need to have time in the Word. I want to encourage you to be more structured. Not simply this, but focused and reading and listening to God's Word to speak here with trust and confidence in teachers. Alright. I could sit down now because that's the application. That's the challenge. But I want to tell you three things before before we end on the basis of your outline that's before you. I want you to look and see, number one, who is the Holy Spirit? What does the Holy Spirit do? And, finally, how can we, as Paul admonishes us in Ephesians, do not be filled with wine, the spirit of this earth, but be filled with the Spirit. How can I, how can I be filled with the Spirit? Because that's where the promise of life, confidence, comes from. That's where God speaks. Jesus Christ in John 14 had said, The Father and I are going to come to you and we're going to make our abode in you, our house in you. Paul says that our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit God dwelling in us. What does it look like to have more of God in our life? Well, it looks like more of the Spirit in our life. This, uh, I recently read uh, Susan uh, K. Helen, K. Helen's book, uh, Brain on Fire. Now, she had, in one month's time, she was a, she was a journalist working in New York, And in one month's time, she went from the picture of health as a young 23-year-old to being labeled as violent, psychotic, and someone that was a flight risk and a danger to themselves and others. Someone that was so bright, so smart, and now she's in a psychiatric ward where she says, I don't know me anymore. I've lost the me of me. I don't know who I am anymore. I don't know why I think the way that I think. They come to diagnose her after quite a bit of uh, research having anti-NMDA, which is receptor encephalitis. And it's basically where the body immune system attacks the brain thus a brain on fire. She talks about going, she was in the hospital for a month, and then they began to treat her, and she said, then I began to come back. But she said, I would go to dinner parties and parties that my friends would invite me to to try to get me back in the mainstream. And she said, they would look at me like a leper, and they wouldn't know really how to talk to me. 
And she said, it was very, very awkward. But I had my Savior, Stephen. That's her boyfriend. People called him the Susanna Whisperer because he seemed to sense what was unspoken. At the party, he stood by my side, never once letting me stray too far from his watchful gaze. When people who hadn't been debriefed came up to chat with me, he took the reins in the conversation. Not something that the normally laid-back California cool Stephen did, but something that was now necessary for me. When I could not speak, he spoke for me. Stephen became another layer in my protective armor. And then she would later ask Stephen, why did you stick with me during all those, those days in the, the mental hospital when others abandoned? And he said, because I never lost sight of the real you in there. Wouldn't it be wonderful? Did you find yourself, when I was reading her story, did you find yourself saying, it is great to have a friend like that. I've got a friend that stands by my side. I've got a friend that will speak to me and intercede for me. I've got a friend that sees me and loves me and I'm always under their watchful gaze. Or did you find yourself saying, I wish I had a friend like that. I wish I had a friend like that. Well, I want to tell you that the Holy Spirit is that friend. And that Holy Spirit is with us. The Holy Spirit is a person. It is not a force or a philosophy or a cosmic some type of thought. This amoeba that just kind of, you know, he's, he's there, but I don't really know what he does. And I know he speaks and I know he, he, he does certain things, but he's an it. The Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is so close, is such a part and a member of the Trinity that the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is the person of Christ in us, inseparably in us, if you are a believer in Christ. Do you believe that? That Holy Spirit is labeled the helper, which means paraclete, and it is very difficult to interpret or to define with one word in the English. But the Holy Spirit is all of these things. He's an advocate, he's a comforter, he's a counselor, he's a helper, but by all in all, paracletus, it means to stand not in front of you, come on, catch up with me spiritually, or stand behind you, get going, why are you doing that again? But side by side, and I like to imagine even the arm around me, particularly in my weakness, but side by side, moving us, moving us onward in maturity as sons and daughters, all the while speaking the very words of Christ to us. It is Christ. 
It is Christ. But the Holy Spirit is not only a person, it's a, it is divine. The Holy Spirit is the divine member of the Trinity. And if you would bear with me, I started to replace this morning the Apostles' Creed with the Athanasians' Creed, but it's rather long. But notice if you can get the emphasis. This is just a section of the Athanasian Creed, and it was written at a time that the Trinity was being questioned because people were concerned about what really is the Holy Spirit. There is one person of the Father, another of the Son, another of the Holy Spirit, but the Godhead of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit is all one. The glory equal, the majesty, co- the ma- the majesty co-eternal. Such as the Father is, such is the Son, and such is the Holy Spirit. The Father, uncreated. The Son, uncreated. The Holy Spirit, uncreated. The Father, incomprehensible. The Son, incomprehensible. The Holy Spirit, incomprehensible. The Father, eternal. The Son, eternal. The Holy Spirit, eternal. And yet, they're not three eternals, but one eternal. And also... They're not three uncreated, nor three incomprehensible, but one uncreated and one incomprehensible. So, likewise, the Father is almighty, the Son is almighty, the Holy Spirit is almighty, and yet they're not three almighties, but one almighty. So the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. And yet they're not three gods, but one God. So, likewise, the Father is Lord The Son is Lord, and the Holy Spirit is Lord. And yet they're not three lords, but one Lord. For like as we are compelled by the Christian verity, that is true, to acknowledge every person by himself to be God and Lord, so we're forbidden to say there are three gods or three lords. And then it goes on toward a conclusion saying, He therefore that will be saved must think these things of the Trinity. Now what's the point? Thank you for your patience. But we need, we need to encounter even the dizzying truths of the Trinity or else we will begin to treat the Holy Spirit as some cosmic force and not a person. And until we treat the Holy Spirit as a person, a paraclete, side by side, in me, then my sorrow will not be turned to joy. I won't understand when Jesus Christ looks at the disciples or looks at me and says, why are you not more glad that I'm away than with you? And that's where, that's where we need to get. Is that we actually... Don't grouse and say, well, you know what? I would be a better Christian. Or why couldn't I have the experience of walking with Jesus and, and having Jesus more intimately, physically in my life? Augustine says this, With Christ's bodily departure, both the Father and the Son, as well as the Holy Spirit, were spiritually present with them. 
For if Christ had left them so that the Holy Spirit replaced him, hang on to that, rather than dwelling along with him, what would have become of his promise, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. And I and the Father will come to him and will make our dwelling place with him. Folks, what Augustine is saying in so many words is this. The Holy Spirit was not sent by Christ as a replacement or a substitute. He didn't say, you know what? I'm A-team and I'm going to be back up in the, the majors. So I'm sending B-team, tag. He's a good replacement. He's a good substitute. I'm called up to the majors. He's going to stay down here with the minors. No. Augustine says that would not allow Christ to be true to his promise that I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Why don't you ask me where I'm going? It's the Trinity that I am with you right now. Christ is, yes, in the heavens, at the right hand of God, but he's in you as he is with the Holy Spirit. The Father is in you. Now, I know. So what? I've got to leave this point. But we believe in the Trinity. And one of the values of believing in the Trinity, rather than reducing the Holy Spirit to some kind of philosophy or force, which is what... Well, if we do that, then we will never find our sorrow turned into joy. Because if you don't deal, if you deal with the Holy Spirit like the force, then you're going to be very mechanical in how you get filled with the Spirit. You're going to try to push buttons like so much electricity. You're going to pray certain prayers. You may try to speak in tongues. You may say, well, you know, I'm going to just be more, I'm going to do more spiritual stuff and I'll get more of the Spirit. Well, that's true if it's a force of impersonal, but we're told in the Bible that we can grieve the Holy Spirit. We're told in James 4 that the Holy Spirit envies our heart. He's jealous after our affections and love. That's not impersonal. We can outrage the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can convict us and speak to us and teach us and guide us. That's a person. That's not impersonal. So that means that if you want more of the Spirit, you've got to relate to Him like you would a person. And that's what He wants. He wants a day-by-day abiding relationship, moment-by-moment-by-moment. He wants you to be aware that He is with you. And He is. He's not something that you can turn off. He's always with us. I've got a good friend that's visiting us this weekend. And because he's a person, and because we have a relationship, I relate to him personally. We clean our house up, not because we have to, but so that we can host him in our home. I reserve time to to speak with him and for him to speak with me. I love his companionship. We go and we do things together because he's a person. He's not just an idea. The Holy Spirit, likewise, is a person and wants our hearts and wants to speak to our heart over and over again of Christ who is with us. 
And that's what he does. Oh, time does not... See how I'm... That's just one point. I could... I know some of you could say, yeah, you could stop there. I know what you're going to say. I could stop here and that would be enough. Now I've got to get these other things in because it's important. But the Holy Spirit is Christ with us and in us. Are you aware? Are you availing yourself? Are you relating? Will you pray with me to God? Come in again, Lord Jesus, afresh and anew. I've been operating on autopilot. Maybe I've become very smug that I've got this Christian thing down. I know the Bible backwards and forwards. I got God in a box. I got him off. Well, you ain't not going to figure out God. And the biggest mystery with God is the Holy Spirit. But He longs to speak to you and encourage your heart and to strengthen your heart and, yes, challenge your heart. And that's the two things primarily that the Holy Spirit will do. I think we'll take up the Holy Spirit again, perhaps with a series maybe this summer. But the, the two big things that the Holy Spirit does is, number one, He defends us. He comes in between, as it were, us and other things. He, think of a public defender. And what He does is He comes to us and He defends us against enemies. And not just enemies such as temptation, he does do that. And enemies that would harm us, but the enemies of our heart. He defends us against one accusation. And then number two, his primary role is defend us against temptation. But not only is he a defending attorney, he can be a prosecuting attorney. It says here that if you look at uh, verse 8, it says he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Now the world in the Gospel of John is always used for those people that are not followers of Christ. They may be very religious, but not followers of Christ. They may be pagan or hostile. They may believe in other gods, but that's the world. And he says the Holy Spirit, in essence, will do this. He will convict the world. He will will basically accuse our accusers that they are wrong about what they think is wrong, that they are wrong about what they think is right, and that they are wrong about who won. Three wrongs. It says that the Holy Spirit will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. The world thinks what's wrong with the world is not my sin. In other words, the world thinks wrongly about what is wrong. They would say that you're a product of your environment. They they would say that you you are born this way. They would say that you, um, you just made a bad decision. They discount sin. And therefore, they don't need a Savior. But the Holy Spirit says, you're wrong about what's wrong with us. We desperately need a Savior. And as He speaks to my heart about the world being wrong in that, He does it by telling me, let me tell you what is right. That Jesus Christ has come to you, Phil, in your sin, and He has come to you as a Savior, 
and now he's your rightful Lord. The world is also wrong about what is right. In other words, the world prides itself on independence, personal choices, self-will, self-rule. That's what's right. And he says, no. The Holy Spirit tells us, you have a Papa. You have an Abba Father. You're not on your own. And He has included you as a member of the family. He has adopted you. So the world is wrong about what they think is right. And then finally, He says, the world is wrong about who won. The Holy Spirit tells us over and over again as He seeks to give glory to Jesus Christ that He won. The world didn't win by nailing Him to the cross. The world didn't win by reducing Him to be just a a wandering hippie philosopher. The world is wrong about that. The world is wrong about who won. But he says, Jesus Christ won. Let Let me just tell you how important this is before I leave this. You and I need a defender who will fight against accusations. Accusations of the heart. If you have a Bible, I'm going to just turn real quickly to 1 John, another book. We're in the Gospel of John, and the same author wrote letters in 1 John. And in 1 John, he tells us in chapter 3, verse 19 and 20, By this we shall know that we are of the truth, and reassure our heart before Him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and He knows everything. Now, how, does, how is God greater than our condemning hearts? Back to chapter 2, verse 1 of 1 John, My little children, I, I love that address, O little one, O little unassured frightful one. Little one who's feeling the the burden of accusation and condemnation and shame and and guilt and and, and feeling all of those things from the accuser. Oh, little one, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate, that's the word for paraclete, paracletus, We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And you might not have caught that, but notice what he did. Was he says the paraclete, the first paraclete was Jesus. And now he is at the side of the Father as our advocate. But not to leave us alone, we have paraclete number two, who is the same Jesus in our heart, that even as He speaks to the Father as our advocate, He speaks to our heart. Be not condemned. You you have life. You are mine. You are forgiven. And I see you as a child. In Romans chapter 8, Verse 16, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children 
of God. And the terminology there for bearing witness is star witness. He's the bomb witness. He's the one that is, do you have any other witnesses? Says the judge. Do you have anybody else? He says, I got one more. And it's the witness that makes the case. And it's not that Holy Spirit comes to us or Christ comes to God and says, mercy again, mercy again. But he says, justice, they are yours. You can't pay two prices for one sin, so I paid the price for them, so justice is satisfied. And our hearts begin to experience lift. But we have to do this again and again, you know, because our default, our default of our heart is against grace. We want it, but then there's something in our heart that combats it because we keep thinking that we need to get what we earned or deserved. And in our heart of hearts, we know what we deserve, and it makes us fear. But the Holy Spirit comes and says, don't be afraid. Jesus Christ tells His disciples who's, who were sorrowful, your sorrow would turn to joy if you just realized and thought deeply of where I'm going. Don't simply think that I'm going to be invisible and I'm not going to be with you and you're having all this separation anxiety. Begin to ask the question, where is Jesus now? Where am I going? And again, I'm over my depth. He's going to God the Father and He's coming into your heart at the same time. And then He's going from your heart and He's in all of the world through you to show the world that they're wrong about what they think is wrong, that they're wrong about what they think is right, and they're wrong about who won. And by your condemned heart being set free, He convicts the world. Last point. Do consider that question for yourself. Where is Jesus going? Where did he go when he left the disciples following his resurrection, following his ascension, when he was physically separated from them? No man saw Christ again. We can say, yes, Paul saw him on the Damascus Road, and there have been reports throughout the centuries of appearances of Christ physically. But he doesn't walk with us ever again. But is your heart now comforted with a fresh consideration that the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ? And he's there. He's there. We simply now need to turn our gaze to him and to recognize that he's there and he's with us. And with that awareness, begin to hear his voice to glorify Christ again in our heart. And how does He glorify Christ? He glorifies Christ by coming to us and speaking to our heart and telling us that we are forgiven. By telling us that we're now sons and daughters by that forgiveness. He comes to our hearts and He glorifies Christ by by speaking the very words of Christ to us and by bringing things to remembrance, by giving us a strong heart. He comes to us 
and he speaks of Jesus over and over again. Remember my admonition at the beginning. For some of us, we need to hear the words of Christ to our heart again in a more mystical, dare I say, a more experiential manner. And then others of us need to hear the words of Christ in a more concrete manner. The written page. And certainly both have value because the Spirit speaks to us every day, moment by moment, if we would but listen. Let's pray. Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit, glorify Jesus Christ. Lift him up and make him big with the elements of this cup and this broken bread so that you, Holy Spirit, speak to us of Christ and what he has done. And you speak to our heart that condemns us even by the appearance of bread and the appearance of wine. And it speaks to my heart. And then as I take it in, in a mysterious way, you strengthen my heart. You give me power to face temptation and the enemy. You give me power to to know you more intimately. Even as we take Christ in again in the form of this communion table, his body set before us for the taking. We would take Christ. And this is our prayer in Christ's name. Amen.